Welcome to my Soul Life podcast. This is my playground and I'm your host, Susan Scollin. I believe that we can live a life we love every day. To do this, we have to go on a journey to uncover who we are on every layer. Join me each Monday for conversations about following our soul's calling and embodying what lights us up so we can become even more amazing people. And then later in the week, I'll be back with our Soul Life conversations where we open up and explore who we truly are to become authentically us. Be inspired. A quick reminder for you that all the information shared in this podcast is my experience and the experience of my guest. It's not medical or mental health advice, diagnosis or treatment, and I'd encourage you to seek professional advice where needed. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Today, I'm chatting with Ollie Wood. Ollie has a wealth of knowledge, and his passion is really about helping people to thrive, especially those who are over 40, when things probably aren't functioning like they used to. We can't just get on the treadmill and run for hours. One, because we don't have the time. Two, because stress plays up differently in our bodies now. And three, because we need to tackle our gut health as well. So we need to look at everything holistically. And Ollie dives into all of this for us. Ollie is a nutritionist and exercise specialist and the founder of The Body Reset. With over 20,000 hours coaching experience, working directly with clients and investing in continual education about exercise, nutrition, biochemistry and mindset, He's now one of the most sought-after experts in the online coaching space for business owners and business professionals over 40. His unique perspective of running a multi-seven-figure company and understanding the behavioral nuances of what truly makes health habit sticks, including taking complicated topics and simplifying them down into actionable steps people can integrate into their busy lives, is what makes Ollie a world-class coach. Ollie's Body Reset program has now impacted thousands of people from around the world. And you can get a free taste of Ollie's Body Reset program with his free five-day reset challenge. And even better, there's one for women and one for men because we are different and have different needs. And you can go and get it over at bodyreset.online. Ollie gives us so much incredible information and guidance in this episode that it's one of those episodes you want to come back to and tap into over and over. Plus, you can go and work with him and his team to go deeper. So definitely do that if you're in this space. Ollie and I would love to hear what you took away from this episode. So head over to my website, susanscollin.com or Instagram, my.soul.life.podcast and tell us. And you can reach out to Ollie, including all of his resources via the show notes for this episode on my website too. See you inside. Welcome Ollie to my podcast. It's great to have you here and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. No, thank you for making the time. It was great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I love to start by asking what's one thing that's bringing you the most joy at the moment? For me, um, it's been our Sunday drive. Uh, me, my partner, and our dog. <laughs> uh, we're just being making making the time to get out of the city, go for an hour or two drive, uh, go somewhere for lunch, and come home. And it's been really, really simple, really, really um, rewarding. And I think it's just a nice place to kind of have, create that space where you're you're sort of going somewhere, but you're chatting away. Um, you get to see some new cool place, and then and then sort of come home. Um, so for me, that's kind of being a nice anchor. We do a couple times a month, and I, I'd say that's probably the first one. Yeah, that's beautiful. And what sort of dog do you have? 
We got a little labradoodle, which uh, most people do not expect it to be because it's it's definitely a miniature labradoodle, but uh, it's a cool little thing. <laughs> yeah, I've got a labradoodle as well. She's a yep. she's a middle size, so yep. we were we were wanting a mini, miniature, but we ended up with what came out, what yeah. grew anyway. Um, yeah. But she's very sweet. So yeah, ours is a rehome. Everyone keeps saying that it's uh, you know it expects it to be six months old, but it's actually six years old. Um, so yeah, we kind of knew what size it would be, but you know, similar to you, but the other way from the photos, we thought it was bigger than it was, but it turned out to be quite small. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very cute. And you're based in New Zealand, which is lovely. So there's lots of different options around countryside and getting away, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. Mountain bike parks, we, we take them to all the time. Uh, a whole lot of walks and, and yeah, we try to get around and, and get outside more. So it's a great place to be. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that. And like, let's dive into your journey. Can you sort of go back and sort of tell us where did all this sort of start for you? Where have you sort of come from to get to where you are now? Yeah, for, for me, uh, I started off, uh, I, I lived in a pretty small town up in sort of the east coast of uh, New Zealand. Um, you know, really grown up on on whole foods, on sort of that farm setting and just understanding that, you know, eating really good foods, I had really good energy, my recovery was good, I was always really sporting. And, uh, you know, like any typical teenager, I was just, I could eat everything. But even then, I started to notice the difference between me having an up and go or something sort of milk based before I went uh, rowing or running or something, um, to having like a really whole foods meal. And I think uh, through that progression, I, I did every sport under the sun and seeing what that looked like in a triathlon space and rugby and rowing and even the bodybuilding shows that I eventually did later on, there was such a difference in how I would eat for all of those situations, right? And that's only developed over time is no one diet is good for everyone, as we know, but no one diet for you is always good all of the time, all right? Mm -hmm. And understanding the difference between when I was working through a concussion or whether I was working towards a endurance sport or whether it was more body composition-based and bodybuilding, I was eating in a very, very different way. And even now, how I'm eating for more of a mental performance, cognitive focus, energy throughout the day is, is different again. So for us, that was just kind of a nuanced um, seed planted at the start of my sort of sporting career and started to see how that changed over time. But for me, I moved, you know, quite naturally. I always had a, um, a leaning towards business and my schooling and, and university, but there was always a pretty strong awareness of physical activity and sports, right? So I moved into a personal training space, uh, started working with more and more clients. And because I had that obsession of just like, if I'm going to put time into this, I'm going to be the best I can possibly be. <laughs> so working with coaches in the space at a very early age, I think I invested into my first coach, um, quite a substantial investment at 17. Um, and just taking the time to really dive into how to effectively move, how to effectively exercise. Yet three or four years into that, and being quite know, well known as a personal trainer in that space of really maximizing movement, I started to realize that the kind of clients I was working with were in their mid-40s and 50s. They were working a pretty big job. They were juggling kids and projects and all of the stuff that we all have to deal with in day-to-day -day life. And the thing that became more and more obvious to me was that I could maximize their workouts. I can make it perfect as possible through their six-month progression. But if we weren't addressing the amount of stress and information that they were walking through the door with, then I was I was working with a very, very small piece of the pie. And trying to get an awareness of, yes, I was optimizing this 5% of the puzzle, but what do I do about the 95%? What do I do about the other 23 hours in the day that I'm not controlling? So looking at that through that lens is how we naturally move to where we are today moving online simply because the scope and what what I could do in a gym was quite limited. And I felt that there was a lot more that I could really help these clients with. So uh, the other part of that was I was becoming aware of all these things, but I also was becoming uh, very aware <laughs> that each one of these paths 
had another 10-year degree behind it, right? Mm-hmm. So for where we are now and what you've seen through our health trifecta and our general uh, progression and approach is trying to make sure that what we're doing is bringing in this mental, physical, and digestive health in a way that we're ultimately seamlessly integrating it to get your body back on your side. So hopefully that gives you an idea of the progression overall, but it was the idea of simply problem-solving the whole way through and understanding that what parts of this were really going to create the full picture. And I think that's helpful for a lot of people to know because if they're just pushing the new... A nutrition plan or diet or they're pushing um, exercise really hard and they're doing the spin classes and getting really sweaty every day but they're not seeing shifts in how their body works I think just that conversation hopefully where we go today is that how do we create real change how do we make sure our body's coming with us and actually doing the work for us and how do we just make sense of it all because what we're doing now compared to 20 or 20 years ago is very very different so I think that's that's generally the progression of how I've got to where I am today and just getting an idea of looking at it through the lens of really the full picture and how we can work with the whole human rather than simply force a diet until it no longer works anymore. Yeah. And that's such a big, you know, like an important point is that we kind of get focused on the one thing. And if I'm going to do this diet, then I'm going to, it's going to be my answer and my prayer effectively is answered to, to doing this. But as you mentioned before, that maybe works today and maybe it doesn't work today. And in six months' time, you'll need to change it because you've changed. And there's things that are happening about your body and your unique physiology that needs to be considered. And so it's allowing for that evolution. So how do we make those real changes? What does that look like? Yeah, and that's an important part I think You know, we want to dive into today. is The last thing I want to do is get off today's podcast and feel like you're more confused than when you started. I want to make sure that what you're doing is getting an idea of, okay, for where I am right now, what I'm feeling and how I'm I'm wanting to adjust, it's resonating with what you're saying and what do I start with? Mm-hmm. So for us, uh, we always focus on the gut and taking the time to bring an awareness of front-loading what we call just front-loading health instead of focusing on solely just forcing the body to change. And I think for us, you know, the, the lens through which we look at it, if we can repair the gut, it's like starting the race with a Ferrari instead of a unicycle, right? If we can take the time to look at how we absorb food, how we nourish the body, how we actually recover, we start to look at that very differently. And we see this in a, a corporate and business space all the time is we don't look at ourselves like athletes because we're just training or working for 12 hours plus a day, right? We're not taking into account the, the recovery lens. If we did that with an Olympic athlete and we told them to exercise 10 hours a day, we know that would break them down. They'd be worse off tomorrow than when they started. So taking the time to look at it through the same light, we've got a certain amount of work with that six, eight, 10 plus hours, but getting an idea of what are those bumpers in our day that we need to install or at least uh, block out like it is a work meeting to have that intention of fitting us back in our day. Because if we look at our life through our priorities lens, we all talk about health being a certain priority. But is that really coming through and aligning with the values that are true? Because mm-hmm. if you don't have health as a key priority and you keep telling yourself it's something you want to do, is that something that's really coming from a deep desire within or is that something that you should be? Because if it's something that you really don't have as a priority, then you're beating yourselves up more by you know, shooting all over the floor, as, as the coach told me once, rather than focusing on what you'd actually like to do. So for us looking through the lens, I'm going a couple of different ways here, but taking the time to look at that gut health as being a foundation. The reason that's so important is there's one lens, which is food, but the other lens is how your body tolerates it, right? It's not what you eat, it's what you absorb. And taking the time to look at the sensitivities that come through, the quality of the food. You know, if you look at 
the theme coming through with people that stay healthy long term it's when they're focusing more on quality rather than quantity right when you look after quality quantity takes care of itself right if we're having all of these triggers foods that are coming through that are causing us to have these little dopamine hits to have these cravings to have the energy dips then we're going to eat more food overall and i'm starting to become more and more convinced convinced that overeating very rarely ever comes from hunger itself right there's always these other triggers that are coming through we're burning the candle at both ends. We're overstressed. We're underslept. We've got too much on our plate and we're trying to find some sort of coping mechanism. That relationship with food and the quality of the food we're eating and how we're fueling the day has to be a really, really big part of how we simplify and tune in with what works best for you. So I think that's a really, really cool place to start uh, and just starting to build up from there and understand that what that looks like for you to what that looks like for me is going to be very different. It's just getting an idea of nutritionally what are the things that we can look forward to actually enjoying as foods rather than getting in the space that's quite stressful of good and bad? And when we get to bad, it's not the end of the world or the end of today, I'll start tomorrow. It's, is this helpful or is this hurtful? Is this something that I'm feeling good on or not so good on? And how can I recalibrate through the day? So it's, as we talked about with some of our members yesterday, getting away from this binary thinking. And I think in the health space overall, we tend to be we tend to oversimplify things because we need to make sense of it. Like really, really normal to do so because there's so much going on. It's so conflicting. It's getting an idea of where do we ultimately start and how do we simplify it without simply making it binary and bring it back to feelings. Uh, the reason I like that being a focus, and we talked today about joy at the very start of today's conversation, I think is a really, really cool way to anchor it. Because if I set a goal, and everybody does this, uh, I set a goal of I want to run every day, right? You might achieve it over a six-week yeah. time period, but at the end of that time period, you'll find that you are you have sore knees, you feel run down, you don't feel motivated to run anymore. But if you actually look a little bit deeper down, the real goal might have been to feel fit, to, to look good in your own clothes, to just feel confident again. So if we make that the goal, we make that feeling the anchor, we can be flexible in the approach. We can start to look at what's actually going to get us closer to that feeling rather than just forcing a square peg into a round hole. And I think that's an important way to look at health in a bit of a different lens because it won't, as you said, be the same for everyone. But if we change the thought process to which we approach it, we no longer beat ourselves up about being broken. We, we look at the approach or the system we're using as being ultimately the, the missing link. Yeah. Yeah, and you're talking more about that intrinsic motivation. So looking at... What are the internal drivers to achieve what we actually want to achieve? And <clears throat> realizing that what we say we want to achieve, whether it be that marathon, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> whether it be that marathon or the just, you know, starting to run is, isn't possibly actually the goal. It's actually how we want to feel. And we want to feel better in our clothes. We want to feel more confident in, you know, the workplace perhaps or in our own lives, maybe our sex life, whatever that might look like for us. But getting clearer and going deeper is actually where it's going to be more beneficial to us rather than just going, oh, if I tick this box, then I will achieve X. Well, how about you just focus on achieving X rather than ticking a box? And then the box opens up. So then you've got, lot, you know, multiple options out there rather than just one option. 100%. And I think, you know, that, that's a lesson that I certainly had to learn the hard way <laughs> is <laughs> if, if you could only know this one thing, I can really help you. Right. Yeah. And after being in the, in the health space for at least a decade now, that awareness of how 
uh, how I can help you and what you want to listen to are two very different things. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a simple conversation of I can't want it more than you do, right? And eliciting that as being a, an internal tr- intrinsic motivation, as you mentioned, is a really, really key part of how we can move forward. And then my goal as a coach is ultimately not to say you should do this or this is this is the facts, right? Information was never the problem. It's simply how do I harness that internal drive that you know you have to make sure we can create real change and make sure we continue to do it? Because if it's just flighty and floaty and kind of something you want to do, that's usually because, not because you don't necessarily want it, but because you haven't found a way to actually make it fit into your day. And I think that's the bridge that we're trying to make is if I can see that internal drive or I can see that internal motivation, then I can harness that in a way that how do we actually break down an action plan for you moving forward rather than simply be a motivational discipline game. Because if you're only ever relying on you getting healthy based on willpower, it won't really work. Uh, unless you are in a, you take the time to be more disciplined in your environment than you are simply in your actions. And what I mean by that is if you put a, a cake in front of me, I'm going to eat the cake. <laughs> but what I'm going to do is t- make sure that I'm not in that situation every day. And I'm making those shifts to make sure that I'm, I'm looking after me in a different way so that actually I'll come back to the point. If I'm, if I'm in front of the cake, but I'm tired, I'm run down, I'm burnt out and I've had a big day, I'm going to eat the cake, right? Because it's not a hunger thing for me having that cake, but I've looked after me through the day. I've slept well. I've moved. I'm actually feeling good about myself. I'm probably not going to eat the cake because I'm just, I'm in that momentum. I feel so much better. And that's what we're trying to harness a little bit differently is just looking at that through the lens of you're usually there's trying to, there's a hole you're trying to fill. We all want to feel good in some way. And for many of us, when we're not looking after ourselves, foods becomes that, that void. Um, and I think that's why that mental physical comes together so beautifully is because we're simply looking at taking care of the whole human and certainly from a mental element how you feel uh, because it really allows you to make better decisions through the day not only in the foods you eat but obviously the focus through how that's going to impact your decision making your presentation skills your confidence in work and home yeah and I think that's a really beautiful example that you provided. When you're run down, when you're sitting in front of that cake, you're going to want that cake. You're just going to you, – because you want some energy, you want some love, whatever it might be for you. But if you're taking care of yourself, if you're putting yourself first um, and you're just filling up your cup first before you give to everybody else, then you're not going to necessarily want that cake or you're going to choose it because you can. You're going to make a conscious decision as opposed to a subconscious decision and you're halfway through the cake or you've eaten the cake and it's covered, you know, face is covered and... Wiping it off, yeah. 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 <laughs> All the things. Um, but it brings back to that whole how do we fill our cup first because how do we then become, and I, I mean I've been on this journey as well, but... How do we then put that first and go, I can do that? And you talked earlier or before this podcast, before we hit record, was around the mindset shifts that we have to make to be able to do those sorts of things. So can you take us through those? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So the big part here, I think, is shifting the conversation from something I have to do to something I want to do uh, really takes more than simply a logical lens. Uh, And I think Again, this was something that was planted a long time ago. I, I was rowing all through high school. Uh, you know, I was rowing before school. I was rowing after school. I was sleeping in the middle <laughs> and uh, generally getting through the week that way. Uh, and one of my teachers once said, you know, I was, I was coming, I, I came in late to class or something and he's like, oh, you know, I was rowing. I had to do this and that. Um, and he simply said, you realize this is something that you chose to do. 
Um, and although a very, very simple statement, it allowed me to sort of mull on that for a couple of weeks <laughs> and realize that I was creating my own suffering, not simply through the activity I chose to do, but how I was choosing to do it, right? And simply changing that lens, I think, makes a huge difference. So is this something you look forward to doing? And if not, how can you change it? Because if it's not something you can do every day, don't do it for one. And I think that's a really different lens to look at when we create real change is we think that we need to do, and, and the, the, the fitness culture is terrible at this, is we need to do some six-week drastic cut and then we find some magical maintenance phase, right? It's getting an idea of making the shifts from day one and really seeing how that compounds over time. Mm-hmm. So the lens that you really look at, look through that is, is or if we step back for a second, right? Because you want to look at the steps or the action we, we need to take. But I think stepping back and looking at why we take those actions is really, really important. Meaning when we start a health journey, unfortunately for many of us, especially if it's later in life, 30, 40, 50, we finally decide to get on that anchor. Maybe what was working was kind of just working in the background. We didn't have to worry about it. We never had to worry about what we eat and now we do. Or we're just starting to really see this get in the way and it's forcing us to look at it a lot more seriously. And we're wondering what other options are out there. We're probably in one of those categories. The problem is, is we get to that point because we get to some level of pain that we finally pay attention right? And that's a motivator. It's a powerful motivator. Many people get to a point of they hit their threshold, right, this needs to change. The trouble is that's a really good motivator to get started, but it's not a particularly good one long-term, right? If we try to use pain as our motivator long-term, we either achieve our goal and we're miserable, (laughs) or two, it works for a couple of weeks. And this is the most common one, is it works for a couple of weeks until we get just enough out of pain in order to no longer have enough motivation to keep going. So the shift here really has to be if we're going to create the actions long term, rather than asking how, you first have to ask why we're having those thoughts in the first place, which is how do we shift from a pain motivation to a pleasure motivation or opportunity motivation? What is that thing that really drives us? And that just ties us back to what we're talking about before. Rather than being the person that runs every day, how do you want to feel? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? And what are the anchors that you place in your day, those non-negotiables that allow you to achieve that? And that starts to look at you, look at how you do things through a very different lens. Now, we can take it one step further and make sure there's a delayed gratification required because I could say I feel really good by having this bag of lollies, but how do I feel from an hour or two from now is something that I obviously would extend the time horizon to which I want to feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to both of those lenses would be worth looking at. It's just understanding the what are you really here for? What's that anchor that's pulling you rather than pushing you moving forward? And then two, how are we creating a delayed gratification around making the hard choices today to make it easier later rather than falling into the easy choices now and making it hard later? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get caught in that. Let's make a quick choice now and an easy choice now, but it's going to get harder later. And we kind of go, oh, I'll deal with that later as opposed to slowing it right down. And I wonder if that's an approach that you use is, you know, with your clients is slowing it down and going, okay, what is the one thing that I can do right now? And it may not be a full solution, but will support me long-term and then start like those building blocks that we put into place. Is that an approach that you guys take? 100%, but it comes from a mindset of how can you feel good or how can you give yourself permission to feel good at 80%? Yeah. Because most of us, we get to 80%, we're like, oh, that damn 20%, right? Yeah. Rather than be like, damn, that 80% actually felt really good. I'm going to do that again tomorrow. And I think that's a really big shift is just giving ourselves permission to feel good. We're allowed to feel good. And I think that's a big shift in just creating those anchors in our day and creating what we call, um, you know, creating your own circle rather than falling on and off this wagon. What are those anchors in your day? What are those non-negotiables that really build your, your day, that fill your cup? 
Um, today is actually a beautiful example. This week's kind of flat out for me. <laughs> um, and I had a massage that I booked in about six weeks ago. And I got to the start of the week, did my little review Sunday, getting ready for the week. And I was like, oh, I could push that massage. Um, you know, I could use that extra hour and a half, um, you know, travel and massage and all the rest. But that's the exact, exact point where I need to lean in, right? Where doing something for me to actually just fill my cup, make sure I can actually get through the week is going to mean that Friday night comes and I actually can have a normal meal rather than like, right, come at me, burger, chips, whatever else to fill up the void that's happened through the week. So leaning in in those spaces, I think it's your body's always going to recalibrate, but you get to choose if it's something now that feels good or something later that is probably not the most ideal situation for health if that's your goal, right? Yeah. So. That's just the lens I look through. Hopefully that's helpful too. Yeah, that is really helpful. Um, and I'm the same in terms of that. Like we can get really busy, yeah. but where are those pockets of time that I'm putting aside for myself to create, to to enable me to get through? So like you said, you're not face first into the pizza or the burger and chips on Friday afternoon when you're just exhausted. It's how can we create that sustainability in every day, not just, you know, once in a while? Yeah. Um but coming back to that, harnessing our internal motivation and part of what you've just talked around then, it's that how do we bring in that belief? Because that's probably the biggest part for people that struggle with that it is possible to create, you know, the sustainable approach that we can slow down and potentially achieve more. We can, you know, tidy up our gut health and that will be beneficial. How do you guys work around that belief pillar? Yeah, belief comes from two parts. First part I want to use as a little bit of a phrase is self-compassionate people are more resilient, meaning the words we use to talk to ourselves internally are going to make a drastic difference in your belief, your confidence, how you show up. But the second part to really anchor in confidence long-term is are you breaking the words to yourself, right? Meaning those little small promises that you don't think actually mean anything, but they're just another slice you know, and if you're not taking the time to build that up, the morning walk, drinking water, um, making sure that you're spending 10 minutes in the sun, actually having breakfast away from a screen, um, making sure that you break up the day a little bit and just get five minutes to pause in the middle of your day. Those little things are the, the, the anchors that if you feel are important to you, make sure you keep them. And the more often you can, you will just build up those confidence anchors. And I think the way you do that, not necessarily through you know, the, the 10 different things in your day, because I think that'd ruin you. <laughs> but taking the time to look at what's the one thing in your day that really challenges you, that you're actually doing to you. Because if you can create your own challenge in the morning, everything else feels less challenging. What I mean by that, if that becomes your cold shower or your morning meditation or any, a workout of some sort, if you can create that challenge, that's you controlling you, right? In the in the meditation space you're controlling your thoughts or at least you're allowing thoughts to come through and you're not forcing yourself to think about something and go off on a tangent if it's a workout you're probably not going to feel like working out every day but you're leaning into that challenge because you know you'll feel good later right it's building that delayed, delayed gratification muscle which is a more important muscle than your bicep but taking the time to build that long term is i think a really good way to just look at it through the lens of how we're going to make it happen long term yeah yeah and like I said, just challenging your mind, you know, yeah. doing that cold shower can be a really simple thing to do, but it can be a really hard thing. But just challenging yourself in that moment to go and do it. And then that will be the hardest thing that you've done all day. And oh, you've absolutely. actually done and it for yourself. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast with a uh, sort of performance coach the other day. And he was saying uh, over time, he, he was he was interviewing someone 
that had been on stage, you know, uh, time and time again in front of 20,000 odd people. And he was like, do you still feel anxious? Do you still feel, you know, nervous going up on stage? He said, absolutely. That's my Kevin. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, McKevin, uh, that's that little voice in the back of my head uh, telling me that, you know, it's not going to go well, that I haven't prepared enough for all this stuff. Yeah. And labeling that I thought was just beautiful because it was an awareness of that internal voice that we all have of self-doubt, of that lack of confidence. We haven't prepared all of these things. Or in the cold shower example, like just skip today, right? Like yeah. that's the internal Kevin. And I thought it was a really, really good way to label a thought as not you and being able to make a decision other than the one that's being told in your head. Yeah. And the way that so many people seem to harness that, whether you label it as your Kevin or whether you simply see that as a growth opportunity as being able to move forward, I think was a really, really cool way of just solidifying progress, of making that step forward even when you don't want to and building that delayed gratification muscle of how am we doing steps today? They're going to feel good tomorrow. Yeah. And it's just part of the process. Do you know what I mean? Like just allowing it to be part of the process. And Elizabeth Gilbert's, Gilbert talks about it as, you know, fear will always be on the ride with her, but they're not, in the, it's not in the driver's seat and it's in the, yeah. she pushes it in the back seat. And that's yep. Kevin. Kevin goes into the back seat <laughs> and so that you can keep getting on with life. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So where does stress play a part in this? Because you talk about a lot of um, the people that you work with, they've got burnout or stress or they're in the corporate environment and they're struggling. And, you know, a lot of my listeners are, are parents and particularly mums who are in the midst of raising kids and running a household and working full time and all that sort of stuff. Where does stress play a part in all of this? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. Uh, I think you framed it really well. And I think we can look at it through the lens of uh, the corporate very easily. But I, I think looking at it through the lens of being a parent can play such a, a, a crucial role um, in how that sort of plays out in both scenarios. And we had a, a, a guest speak to our, our our group a couple months ago as a sort of family dynamic specialist. And it was really, really cool to hear from, to hear from her perspective of what that looked like in working with neurodivergent kids and, and how kids in general tend to pick up on how you're feeling, whether you say anything or not, just that state that you walk into the house with. And I think that was a really, really cool way to create the way that he, she owned, uh, I put my health before my family and seeing that as a, you know, what felt like a bit of a uh, conflicting statement. The way that she then followed that up is, well, if I don't have my health, my, my family never get the best of me. So if I focus on my, my family without my health, I'm never going to show up as my best and they never get the, the version of me that they deserve. So it was simply a, it's not selfish, but selfless to put yourself first and taking the time to really anchor that state so that how I'm show, showing up, the emotional stability, the energy, the focus, being able to be present comes down to me having that health base first. I think it was a really, really good way to look at it. So where stress plays a role in this is we're taking the time to anchor in the sweet spot, right? Because if we are, as we all know, if we sit on the couch, we're always sleeping, we're, we're eating well, but we're not really challenging the body at all. We will feel slower. We will feel less energetic. We'll always feel tired, right? Energy creates energy. But if we're doing marathons every day, uh, whether it's day one or day 10, your body's going to break down, right? You're pushing it too hard. So again, it's just your Goldilocks sweet spot in the middle. How, what sort of stress can you tolerate? Now, once we find that level, I think it's it's nice to frame it in that way, is understanding that level is not a le- it, uh, stress is not a level, but a threshold, right? And taking the time to look at this lens of 
you doing those little things like we've been talking about today through creating your non-negotiables, creating your anchors, and realizing that is how you adjust your threshold up or down is ultimately how we tolerate stress. And I think that's the the missing link in the stress resilience conversation is understanding that recovery is a huge part of that. It's not simply mentality, but it's how you're looking after that damn body <laughs> so that it can look after or you can you can tolerate what's happening in that day. So stress is absolutely a big part of it. Uh, I think looking at the things that allow you to de-stress and being able to manage your state, especially around meals, is something we look at a ton, right? Gut health is not just the things you eat, but how you eat them or the mm-hmm. state to which you eat them. Um, is a huge one. But the second part to that is, you know, if stress is too high, is it really the level of stress or is it your to- how you're tolerating it? Meaning if we do something, coming back to, uh, I keep saying cold chow, I don't do the cold chows, <laughs> um, but it's it's an option. Uh, your hit training, your weight training, something there where you're creating a high level of stress in a very short amount of time is something that actually builds resist- resilience at a very physical and very tangible level. And if we're able to create these, you know, you know, accessing these high levels of stress, accessing these high levels of muscle unit recruitment, that's going to allow us to tolerate these low level stresses through the day. And this is being shown through study after study where, where we have these low levels of stress through the day that are causing a level of low mood or any, even depression at some point, rather than putting you in a holiday state and getting you to feel better, we can actually expose you to high level stress for a short amount of time and it can actually reduce or even remove the, some of those depressive, depressive symptoms. Now, what that, what's that showing is not that it's removing stress, it's that it's showing a discrepancy between the two. And when mm-hmm. we can see that, we can actually start to build and control how our body feels in those situations. So, uh, huge topic. Hopefully that gives you an overview, but looking at it through the lens of finding your sweet spot and what we need to do, what dial we need to shift is a really, really powerful way of showing up as your best. Yeah, that's an incredible way to look at it in terms of it's like testing tolerance and saying, yep. okay, well, how much can you deal with and then recover and then come back in so that you can deal with those, you know, normal daily stresses, the smaller stresses, like they're just having a glass of water. Like they're just things that you do and your body is naturally in a state of, you know, going into that high stress, coming back to recovery, knowing that it's safe and it will recover, it doesn't stay in high stress, um, and then being able to move through life a lot more with a lot more flow. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And I think we don't stress ourselves enough To Is that right? <laughs> or we probably have enough stress in our lives but we don't know the difference between Pushing our, pushing our stress boundaries and then coming back into that recovery phase. For me, uh, what I see in, in our world, uh, we specifically work with clients in their 40s and 50s, right? So it's, yeah. it's exactly in that point in their life where things that used to work 10 years ago don't work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so what we tend to see all the time, and this ties back to stress really well, is that most people are they're either not exercising at all and then that scenario they do need to create some sort of like get up and go in their day <laughs> and that'll start to feel good or two they're actually maintaining a, a level of stress they're doing the spin classes they're doing the circuit classes and they're stressed out at work so they're just maintaining this like mild left or moderate level and sometimes high level of stress all day <laughs> mm. so a lot of these sort of type a personalities and just career-driven individuals tend to find that they are you know, they are stressed through the day. They're just creating this momentum. They forgot to eat, but they're crushing their work project. And then, oh, shit, it's five o'clock. Got to jump off to my, my spin class, right? So it just becomes eight, 10 plus hours a day of stress. Yeah. <laughs> so taking the time to realize that there's components there where we're controlling our state and bringing you down, right? Which is a huge part of you being high performing in any space. 
But the other part there is elevating and controlling a high level of stress that's very uh, tactical or strategic in the way that you tolerate other stress in your day. So I think it's both, right? It's getting away from just the the flat line. And uh, you know, one of the best uh, measures uh, that we look at is uh, in the in the form of recovery is HRV. And if you look at HRV and the rating there, as if you're flatline, you're really, really not recovered. If you're getting these massive discrepancies or, or you know variations between high and low, you're more recovered. And I think that's like a really nice visual for me of realizing that's an exact representation of what my day needs to look like in order to be recovered. I need to have the really low ones, going for a walk, sitting in the grass, meditation, whatever that looks like, to, okay, let's push the body today and let's get a little bit of, you know, blowing out the cobwebs, get things working. <laughs> Yeah, And I think looking at those two lenses and how that correlates back to the very marker of recovery, I think is a really, really nice way to look at it. Yeah. And HRV is heart rate variability. That's the one, yeah. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Uh, No, that's cool. Um, But that's life too, right? We need to have these times where we're just not doing anything and we're on the couch and we're relaxing, watching Netflix, doing whatever we want to do. And then there's times where we're out you know, growing, creating new things, we're doing projects, we're going for those runs, whatever it might be, um, and putting our bodies under stress, but kind of finding that that flow within life, that ebb and flow of life. Yeah. yeah. But one thing I would say on that is there's a big difference between active recovery and passive disengagement. And I think for many of us, looking at some of those stats around how many people, how much time people spend in front of a TV, uh, and understanding that they never feel more recovered from doing so <laughs> starts to show you the difference between actual recovery and intentional recovery versus just blobbing. And uh, the first version of this that might might not be appropriate, but it, it was um, uh, Lamborghinis don't t- put TV ads up. And it's like because the people that own those are not watching TV. <laughs> yeah. And take the time to look at it through the lens of let's look at things that are actually recovering you. Uh, we absolutely watch TV. You know, there'd be a couple, there'd be a couple of things on the weekend. There might be something during the week, but we've never even connected our TV, TV cable. <laughs> so if we're going to watch something, we're going to watch something for a certain amount of time. We're going to enjoy the show and then we're going to get off. Just sitting down and seeing what's on and just blobbing for three hours. I don't feel as productive use of our time. So just making a distinguishment there of I don't have time, but you spend three hours in front of a TV, let's look at how we adjust that a little bit and just start to look at the lens through active recovery so you can show up better tomorrow rather than just that passive disengagement and I need a break. Uh, it makes a big difference. So what does active recovery look like? Uh, it couldn't be plenty of things. I think uh, anything that actively moves the body or calms the mind is the general theme I've just thought of right now. Um, but taking the time to look at what that might be, for me personally, it might be you know a quick stretch at the end of the day, right? Just laying on the ground, moving the body, getting my joints through range because I've been stuck in this position for 10 hours, yeah. <laughs> right? Just moving the body. Um, that could be the meditation. That could be playing with the dogs or the kids. It could be um, just having a nice bath at the end of the day, right? Like things yeah. that are actively engaging. There's no stimulus generally coming through from that. Um, I think a really nice lens of that is coming back to an actual action you can use is, you know, three to five breaths before a meal. Most people will find that they've been hyperventilating for the last four hours and like, oh, I should actually breathe now. Or, you know, if you've been on a meeting or you've been on a podcast or something like this, closing your eyes once you've finished and you'll see your eyes kind of feel like they're darting around a little bit, right? Like you're overstimulated. And in a world where that is something that uh, is everywhere and it's something that our body naturally seeks, it's something that we have to be very conscious and actively disengaging from. So it's ultimately just something there where you're able to 
unwind. You're able to connect with people rather than devices. You're able to tune in. And I think connect, being able to connect with yourself is a good way to look at it as well. So that would be my definition or what I would seek to look through of the lens of active recovery. Yeah. And people can often get caught in the thinking that it's another thing that they have to do as opposed to another thing that they get to do and that it actually will support them. Do you yeah, find that and coming back to, you know, I don't have time, right? I think yeah. a big part to look at there is many of us feel captive to time, but we all have the same amount of time and how we anchor it in there. There are certain amounts there that we have to fill, but there's usually a percentage of that, 5, 10, maybe 7% that you actually have to work with in that day. What are you utilizing there to move the needle forward? Mm-hmm. Um, there are, all of us have the non-negotiables that need to be put in there in the day. Um, I think more of them are negotiable than we think, <laughs> but anchoring in the steps that we can do with the time we truly have rather than just wasting it makes a big difference and it's it's hard it's it, it does take some time because you taking the time to adjust a habit that's become very unconscious and very ingrained for a very long time is quite uncomfortable and as we talked about before we jumped on air is there's a difference between the physical action of having to change something but that part is relatively easy once we finally get the the brain to buy in all right when we make that mental shift we get rid of the mental block we simply become aware of the sabotaging habits in our day or the lack of things that are, are filling our cup that cause us to sab- sabotage down the road, I think is the biggest part of it. And hopefully today's conversation has been relatively eye-opening or wholesome in how we're talking about real change, is just realizing that the mind and body are inextricably linked. And in order to create create physical change, you have to have this discussion mentally first. Because there's a mental block, there's a there's a habit, there's a there's a feel-good factor that you're chasing from one thing that needs to be shifted. And you can definitely find that in other things. Um, I had a, um, uh, a a brother of my uh, partner back in high school said, like, why do you enjoy this exercise thing? Like, do you get a high off it or what's going on? Um, and I was like, yeah, I do get a high off it. I actually feel quite good. Um, and then about five years later, I saw him in the gym. And he's like, hey, Ollie, I really see what this thing's about. You know, he's just got some momentum. I'm enjoying this. And you do actually get an endorphin rush. And trying to move from that coming from TV or gaming or uh, drugs or alcohol or, or whatever and, and shifting to what that looks like for leaning into something that feels good for you that you can control is really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, a couple of different ways you look at it, but I think it's seeking something, as you mentioned, something you can you can enjoy, something you get to do, run something you have to. Many of the things is we're creating suffer, suffering through the the association association we have to something rather than what we're actually doing, just like I was with the rowing. Like, just enjoy the rowing or don't do the rowing rather than I have to do this rowing and I'm making this big and important hard thing that I have to do. Uh, and I think it allows us to just remove some of those change a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what are some of the biggest challenges that the 40s and 50-year-old people face when they come to you? Like, is it just about time and prioritizing what they're doing or are there bigger things going on for them? Ah, Absolutely bigger things. I think the bigger one, well, if we look at it through the lens of time, I think the big one that has to be a shift is the reason you can't find time for exercise is because you're looking for an hour and a half, right? If I ask you to find 10 minutes, do you think you can find it? Yes, right? So looking at it through the lens, many of the clients we work with have come in with an all or nothing attitude <laughs> and it's it's either now the perfect diet and I'm a winner or anything less and I might as well just stop. So looking at that a little bit differently and understanding that building a new baseline and building steps that allow you to get closer to you feeling good is exactly that conversation of are you giving yourself permission to feel good at 80%, right? So that discussion absolutely needs to be had um, as a precursor. 
And then I think looking at it through the lens of what's truly going to create change with this new biology going through the space. Uh, men, you're generally going to see your your uh, testosterone just naturally decline at a, over the next 10 to 20 years at 1% to 2% a year. And that's certainly going to make a difference. And that's a whole other conversation about how I think uh, a lot of men in their 40s and 50s being over-prescribed to, uh, depression medication rather than having their testosterone addressed directly. I think mm-hmm. that's a huge issue. But, men, but uh, females are very, I think, aware at this point of this menopause conversation, what that changes hormonally. I think a discussion that needs to be had to break that up a little bit is understanding what the difference is between perimenopause and menopause and understanding that you do actually have a really vital win- window up to about 10 years before menopause actually starts where your body's going through all these weird changes. You're starting to get a couple of symptoms come through. Our menstrual cycles are starting to be spread out a little bit more. I say our, but you're um, getting an idea of what that looks like as things just don't work like they used to. I'm not feeling as motivated. My energy's a little bit lower. My mood's a bit more up and down. I just don't feel quite as in control. This body doesn't feel quite the same. And mentally, I feel like I can do something, but body just, it's not working quite like it used to. And that can be really unsettling. That impacts, you know, confidence and, and that flow through the day, I think, more than anything. So looking at that through, uh, the reason I separated menopause to perimenopause is if you're in that space, if you're starting to see those shifts, you're looking at it through the controllables. And this whole conversation has been rather than forcing your body to change, what are the things that you can do to actually support that process? And that in itself is a huge difference. If I simply look at how I can support my body through this process rather than force it, it makes a big difference. Because again, if we step out a little bit, you, uh, you come into a, uh, you know, a regular menstrual cycle through puberty. Menopause ultimately is you coming out the other side. All right. So getting an idea of realizing, you know, probably through that first instance, there's a whole lot of weird things happening. You're kind of working out your body. It's exactly the same now. You've just got more sort of commitments and things going on in your life. <laughs> yeah. So taking the time to look at it through the same lens is, well, we know that insulin sensitivity is lower. We know that your, the types of exercise you, you tolerate will be different. And this is usually a state, a state where We've spent, especially in a career-driven space where you've probably used some level of, you know, running or spin class as a bit of a, an anchor for you, right? To keep you sane. <laughs> and now it's actually making the whole process worse because you just feel like you're losing your marbles. You feel you don't have the energy at work and you don't have, you're just not recovered to go do another spin class. So for us, looking at it through the lens of support, not force is a really, really good way to look at it. But if you're going through these shifts, it's now looking at this, this process of, as we talked about before, like fix the gut first, take the time to work with this whole foundation that allows you to allow the body to work better rather than let's like just push exercise harder because we know that made us feel good once. And when we do that, we're taking the time to understand that, that our gut being a very center point of inflammation in our body, regulating hormones overall, our mood, our sleep, right? 90% of our serotonin is made in our gut. I think many people know that now. It's our feel good hormone. But understanding that actually has a direct impact to our sleep quality as well. Because if we don't have high levels of serotonin, we can't make that precursor. It's a precursor to melatonin, which is that deep quality sleep. Now, that's where we see a lot in our 40s and 50s, noticing uh, that being a lot more disrupted, a lot lighter. Even if we're getting enough hours of sleep, we're not getting that high quality. So starting with that gut, having this conversation around addressing some of the root cause foods, about repairing that tissue and taking you through that general process, I think, is is a really nice place to start. And we can certainly dive into that a little bit more, but um, it's a it's perspective shift on what's happening physically with the body, and then how mentally are we coping with that, and how can we support not force? Yeah, it's that holistic picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
much bigger than just like like you said something that used to work when you were younger was just go get on the treadmill at the gym or the cross trainer or whatever it was do the weights and everything would be fine but now life is different bodies need different things our bodies do especially when we're in perimenopause and menopause or as you said men have got their own hormonal changes that they go through as well so having a look at that and tidying up that gut health which is something we haven't done because our bodies have been able to cope with the foods that we've been putting in for such a long time. Yeah. So tidying that up and then, yeah, being able to move forward. And what has resonated with me throughout our whole conversation, it's just about tuning in and it's that awareness of ourselves as opposed to just pushing and continuing to do what we've always done. It's that slowing down, coming back, you know, tuning into who and what we need as an individual and then making changes from that space. Totally. And I think, you know, if you're in that that business or corporate space, I think the world around you tends to force you into being highly strung, highly stressed, um, anxious about everything. Uh, it's a natural tendency from being in that space. So tuning in feels uncomfortable. And if you've been in that space long enough, and I've worked with plenty of them, is it basically just becomes a head on top of meat suit. You're entirely disconnected. And until you take the time to tune in, uh, it gets uncomfortable. You feel these new weird things. You don't really know what to make sense of it. So awareness is a conversation that needs to be broken down a little bit more. It is absolutely that conversation, but it's knowing the strategies and steps to take in order to feel tuned in. And I think the problem with that space in general that just reinforces the problem more is that most of us tend to think that we should do health, but we have to work and that it becomes two separate things that, you know, we're working too much. So health takes a, takes a hit. But if we're able to make that shift where health becomes a key priority in our day and we notice that we're more energetic, we're more focused, we're more productive through the day because we now have the capacity, we've taken the time to look after our health, then we can see how much of an asset that is to our day. And I think when we create that association that is not there for most people, it allows us to look at this in a very different light. It allows us to actually give ourselves permission to lean in, to tune in, to allow our body to be the asset working with us rather than a liability that has a ticking time bomb. And I think that just that shifts it for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, I think we could keep talking for hours. So before we get into the wrap-up questions, is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think we're having a really good conversation. Everything that we've gone through, we've looked at it through taking these really complex scientific topics, talking about what that looks like through the light of the gut, and I think understanding that, um, you know, psychologically how you associate yourself doing certain things, whether it be nutritionally, uh, exercise, just habit change in general, is one of the biggest stresses that we need to address, is what are you fighting yourself that you're doing? And if you can't do it every day, why are you doing it in the first place? I think it becomes a really nice light to look at habit change through, which health will be. And then two is just understanding that, as we talked about with gut, gut briefly, is there is very much a tangible what are you eating benefit. We look at it through quality, not quantity. But there is the non-food aspect that comes into this picture, which ties into everything else we've talked about, which is simply how you are associating food with performance, how you're associating food with guilt, how you're associating you taking time out of your day to show up as your best version with the short-term discomfort of disconnecting yourself from a certain situation, right? I think understanding that that space of people-pleasing um, and understanding that truly that people pleasing, if it's taking over your life is, is, is driven by fear, not love. And if we can make that shift back to 
looking at it in a way that if I look after myself, everyone gets the best version of me. I'm filling my cup. I feel better, and that's an important part, but everyone else gets a better version because I do. It's something that logically people understand, but emotionally it needs to really anchor. And it's the same way look we look at your habits overall is why we're talking about these feelings is it needs to be something that you're emotionally invested into, something that you really feel like working towards because it's worth your time. If it's just a logical goal because 10 kilos feels like something you need to lose because your doctor told you, that's something you can logically pull yourself out of. You can logically talk yourself out of that one. But if it's something that's actually meaningful to you, something you truly want to do because you know how that's going to impact every aspect of your life, I think it starts to really take a different light. You'll start to take action a little bit differently. And if you're dabbling and sort of on the fence a little bit, it's probably the step you haven't taken. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. I totally resonate with everything that you've said. And it's it's really life-changing when you can start to, like, just pay attention to those internal, you know, motivators effectively um, and having a look at those rather than, like you said, like let's tick the box of the 10 kilos, yeah, but you can talk yourself out of that because I don't need to do that today or I feel better three weeks later kind of thing. Whereas when I look at why do I want to do this, let's take the doctor aside. I actually want to, you know, be in better health for my kids. I want to be in better health for myself but so I can turn up and be that best version of myself. Yeah, cool. So I'm a massive believer in self-love. Um, it's been a cornerstone to my journey and it sounds like something that you deal, you know, talk to your clients about and it sounds like something that you play, that plays a big part in your life. So what's one thing that you do for self-love? Or right. self-care if that resonates with you more. <laughs> no, same, yeah. I think everyone has a weird idea of words. If I change uh, diary to, to playbook, you know, men will do it. Yeah. Um, I think we all have an awareness of what that looks like. Um, for me, um, I always thought that I was looking after myself by exercising more. Um, I had a, a big motorbike, motorbike crash about two years ago that kind of took that away from me quite a bit. Uh, I tore everything, broke a lot of things, and I couldn't really do that for a long time. And it was a long enough time period for me to realize, like, hang on, exercise is the only way that I was staying sane. And I thought that I had my things together, but I actually relied on something. And if you rely on anything, alcohol, caffeine, exercise, whatever uh i think that becomes your crux it becomes something that really if you need it there's a problem if you want it and you enjoy it that's great but there's a shift um so for me writing has really become that for me i tend to um uh, taking the time to write things down just allows me to solidify thoughts and being able to see them on paper um is usually the way that I do that because I think a consolidation of the outside world, the noise, the stuff going through, for me personally, I find it quite soothing to simply consolidate that in my own thoughts. And uh, my um, yeah, my ability to block out that time in my week, I know a difference when I have. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. And, you know, you've provided heaps of information to us on the podcast today or our time together so I really appreciate that. If myself and the listeners were to take one thing away, implement it in our own life in service of you, what would that be? Find that one thing in your day that allows you to fill your energy a bit more because that might shift a few things. That might shift your breakfast because you're focusing on trying to lose weight to how I want to feel, which will be a byproduct to you losing weight. Yeah. Um, if I shift how I exercise and I move to something that it fills my energy, like it builds my energy rather than breaks it down, I found that 
for many clients, I asked them, you know, why do you still do the spin classes? I'm like, well, I used to get really good energy off it. And I was like, I didn't ask what it looked like 20 years ago. Like, how do you feel now? I, was like, I feel drained. I feel tired. <laughs> it doesn't work the same way. So what could you do now that fills your cup that allows you to feel energy in your day? So just those small little shifts that allow you to look at it through the lens of why you're doing it in the first place. Because there's usually some subtle, like I'm kind of forcing myself to do it or it used to work. And if we could just come back to a 10-minute walk, you'd be like, oh, it's not enough. And it's like, well, is that because you're trying to focus on forcing your body to change or you just feel really good from going outside for 10 minutes, right? Really, really subtle shift, but I think it allows you to look at working with your body a little bit more. And we can dive into that a little bit more if you like, but the the mindset in which you you approach things and how you're you're just strangling things that should work rather than focusing on things that support you actually functioning better um, is the first step. And I think that'd be a good one to take. Yeah, beautiful. So yeah, just, you know, again, that slowing down and looking at why it's important now, not looking at 20 years before um, yeah. and how it used to make you feel. What, who are you now? Who are you today? And who do you want to be? Like really yeah. good, beautiful journaling questions that you could use, you know, in your diary and that sort of thing. So. Cool. Well, can you tell us where people can find you and what is the work that you're doing in the world? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the big one from today, uh, we've spent a lot more time on the mindset in which you approach things. So I think that's a really, hopefully that's just, that's put you in a beautiful priming position to really take action from here. I'd really like to make sure that we can give you some actionable steps from here. So um, if you uh, wanted to go through what that looks like in your day-to-day life and some actual action steps moving forward, uh, I think a really good place to start is our free five-day challenge. So if you go to our website, bodyreset.online, or you just go through Instagram, NZ or at OllieWoodNZ, um, you'll find us there. Um, and I think just taking the time to walk through those steps. It's a free five-day challenge. It walks you through. They're about 10 to 15-minute videos. We give away a ton of content for free, resources, morning formulas, um, you know, new breakfast ideas, all of the stuff to fill the gaps so you don't have to do too much thinking, but really breaking it down around over that five days, getting you closer towards this process of getting your body to do work, the work for you so you don't have to. Taking the time to actually get and build that metabolic rate, taking the time to build back to a level of just that fat burning furnace of that energy building um, machine that allows you to get the most out of your day rather than feeling like it's a process of let's just force this thing to change the next six weeks and then find some magical end piece. Um, you know that doesn't exist, so let's just make it a little bit different and that would be a really, really cool place to start that allows you to apply that in your own day. So just go to bodyreset.online and it's our free five-day challenge. You'll find it on the main site. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been fabulous. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. You're certainly changing lives and it's been an honour to be here with you. That's been a really fun conversation. Thank you so much for having me jump on and and thanks for asking such uh, detailed or really thought-out questions. I think it made a big difference. Yeah, no, you're you're so welcome. Thank you for joining me today and I have a couple of small favours to ask. If you love this episode, please share it with someone you love and you know the episode will resonate with. Also, to help spread the word about my podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave me a review. I love hearing your thoughts about my podcast and what's resonating with you. Plus, it helps us share my podcast with the rest of the world, which is amazing. Finally, thank you so much for being here. I'm super grateful for you and I'm truly honored you've spent your time with me. Let's keep rising. Let's keep growing because it's totally possible to live a life you love every day right where you are. See you in the next episode.